Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Free Association on the Sportsnet Podcast Network. I'm J.D. Bunkus. He is still the busiest man in all of sports entertainment. Donovan Bennett, fresh off of a week of uh, doing a couple of days of co-hosting Good Show with my buddy Ben Ennis. And now, uh, today, well, the day we're recording this thing, getting ready to do uh, his, his stint on Tim and Sid. His summer stint on Tim and Sid. Everybody gets vacation in summer except you because you have to fill in on that show so frequently and all the other shows. Uh, yeah, you're not wrong. And just because I'm just not paid enough to be able to take a vacation. Like, I mean, where would I go? Uh, so um, I, I, I had a, a boss at a previous location. He's always like, you got to take these vacation days before they before they go and i'm like yeah you guys don't pay me enough to to go anywhere so how about you just pay me out for the vacation and i just stay here and do this work and they're like oh no it doesn't work that way you're gonna lose the vacation i'm like okay but did you want me to just stay at my house and not work that's what they want you to do come into work after that and have to work harder to make up for the time that i wasn't here like who is this who's this working for so um yeah so having said that i fill in for people who can afford to take vacations like yourself and like yeah. Timothy McAuliffe and you guys take vacations when there are no sports and then sports come back and then I'm just busy then. So that's basically yeah. my life. <laughs> First of all, how dare you insinuate that I make more money than you? Like I, I would honestly sight unseen. I would trade those checks like in, in a heartbeat. There's no question who's more valuable to the company. And I have to assume that that's reflected in dollars and cents. Secondarily, yeah, I've taken these vacation days because I had the exact same thing. I've always had them stack up and I always have this situation where they go, hey, man, um, you, you can't keep rolling these things over. And I totally get it when especially when you're starting out in sports media, the idea that you're going to be able to do anything with your vacation other than get some beer and see some friends is preposterous. Unless you have family money, you're not going anywhere that like extends past a Canadian border, you can go to Nova Scotia in a car. Like that's a thing you can do. But if you think you're going to like Turks and Caicos, uh, yeah, maybe you want to take a different uh, career path because that ain't happening until you are actually Tim McAuliffe and you're not me at my mom's house using her pool. Uh, you're Tim McAuliffe with his own pool talking about it with Sid about, you know, uh, pool guy stuff, pool guy problems. What, uh, whether you invest in a diving board, whether you invest in a net, how many pool noodles should you have? How many inflatable toys should you have? That's that's where I want to be. That's where I got to be at. But uh, I I'm I'm glad you still grind. How was good show? Did you did you enjoy talking about the cluster bomb that is Major League Baseball? Like Jamal Crawford signing? Like what was your highlight of the week? Talk to Joe Johnson about the fact that he's yeah, still that getting cool. buckets. I listened to that in yeah. uh, the TBT. I I'm quite certain he will be playing in the NBA bubble at some point. Uh, and based off of some of the names that have been signed, I mean, I'm not sure why he's not already signed to play in the NBA bubble. But um, no, it was good. As you know, Ennis is very easy to work with. Yeah, he is. He's a great guy. Um, so I did listen to you guys. Uh, I listened to a little bit of your stuff. And uh, as we said last week that we wanted to uh, discuss some of the stuff that's most interesting to the Raptors. But first, there's just a couple of news items. Uh, I did, as I was mentioning when I was listening to the show, I heard you guys break the Jamal Crawford news. And I, which team was it? Do you really believe that last year's Duke Blue Devils would beat this team's Brooklyn Nets, this version of them? 100%. No 100%. way. <laughs> no way. Yeah, okay. Break it the down. You get Zion. Yeah. And, and you get RJ. 
So, like, two of the three best players in this seven-game series are playing for Duke. Duke has a better coach. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, like, what else do we really need at this point? <laughs> I, I think it's more that you'd have mismatches. How many, how many guys on the Nets start for Duke? Jared Allen yep. and Karis LeVert. That's it. No. I think Cam Reddish was the only... Was there another guy on that Duke team that got drafted? I feel like there might have been. Who was the point guard again? I think he stayed. Or maybe he's in the NBA. God, I already forget. My brain is so melted. But yeah, I still got uh, I still got my bastardized version of the Brooklyn Nets, even though the Zion factor is huge. Like, I don't know. Yeah, he's the best player in that game. No question about it. Duke had three lottery picks last year. But one of them not that good. And RJ's just okay so far. If you took this Nets team and put them in the draft, how many lottery picks would you have? Well, if but just think about it if we were just doing this though. Like that, but that's based on potential too, right? Like I'd rather have Joe Harris in a basketball game tomorrow than RJ Barrett. Like uh, I, I would. God, like no. I, oh no. I, I'd rather have Karis Levert than RJ Barrett tomorrow. Would we agree on that? Nah, barely. Honestly, I really, I just like, you look at what RJ did this year. He was a really ineffective player. Like he is on a bad Knicks team, but like he's a pretty inefficient shooter at this point. Like he doesn't have free throws or three point shooting. Like he's a good passer, but, and he's like an average-ish defender. Like, I don't know. We'll see what happens with RJ, but so far, like the, the rookie year was, was pretty, pretty tough. Put it this way. If Sean Marks had the choice of, having RJ for the NBA's back tournament or having Jamal Crawford, he would choose RJ. He would not choose yeah, I think Jamal he would. Crawford. He wouldn't choose Joe Harris. I he think would he would choose, choose Joe Harris. I, I, I think I you're underestimating Joe Harris. I mean, uh, Joe Harris still might not start for this team. So, I mean, how much am I really underestimating him? <laughs> Jacques Vaughn evidently also is underestimating him. Like, I think you are underestimating Joe Harris. Guy scored little around 14 a game on, you know, over 40% shooting from three in the last two seasons. One year he shot 47% from three, one of the best marksmen in the NBA. But let's digress here. Let's let's move on. Uh, we've we've got some other stuff. So the NBA players are starting to get into the bubble. Uh, the media is starting. We're starting to get those uh, pop-up columns of, you know, what the NBA bubble is like, what the testing is like. Uh, the Raptors rolled up. They have a bunch of, like, everybody's in good health for their team. They they survived their stint in what was it Naples I think uh, they pull up guys are in good shape guys look in incredible condition they they pull up in the Black Lives Matter bus um, but early on the first waves were players uh, complaining about the food and the isolation for the couple of days where they you know couldn't have the the main Disney menu. What did you think about that? Because I, I think that this was kind of major points for John Morant coming out of this thing. Yeah, I mean, first of all, J.R. Smith, like, you're lucky to be even there. No kidding. Quite frankly. So you're not allowed to complain about anything. Uh, Rajon Rondo, evidently you've never been to a Motel 6. Because yeah. uh, trust me, that's not what a Motel 6 looks like. I mean, I think there's just a very basic thing that when people go away on vacation, they want their accommodations to look, feel, smell better than their actual homes. And that is the line of demarcation that, that people are basically hoping to cross. And I think a bunch of NBA players found out that, wait a minute, 
for the next three to four months, this one plus one that I'm staying in is not better than my house. And like, no NBA player, it's not. Uh, because the hotel rooms at the Disney Wild World of Sports are not better than the average NBA player's home. But to, I was with you when you were saying, man, there's real concerns. COVID-19, the virus is a real threat. And the epicenter of it in the world is where you're going. And there's real conversations being had about black lives mattering, not just in the United States, but everywhere. And maybe the NBA will be a distraction. I was with you for all that. And then you got to the bubble, and then you complained because your filet mignon didn't look as good as you thought it would. Oh, and by the way, the reason why really nice restaurants don't allow you to take pictures of the food is because you're not a food photographer. You don't work for BlogTO, and any photo that you take of it is not going to make the meal look that appealing. So it was just a terrible, terrible look that the first thing NBA players did was complain about the food and the accommodations. Yeah, and like... Okay, this kind of matters a little bit here, right? Like this is a league where the the best players have the biggest voices. Like it's just a, the way that it operates. And so to see the complaining coming from Rajon Rondo, Troy Daniels, and uh, J.R. Smith, <laughs> all I can think of is, yeah, none of you guys need to be here. There's not one of you guys that's an essential service when it comes to the NBA. Like it's so odd that the three of you decided to be like, oh, well, this is not good enough for me. Like Troy Daniels, you can't have one day where... The food is just not exactly up to snuff. And again, it's like they were going to get a better menu. This was just during the like hardcore lockdown quarantine period. I, I just found it like very, very strange. And that's why John Morant, man, I, I've already expressed my love for John Morant on this podcast. He's already one of my favorite players in the NBA. He reminds me of young Derrick Rose. And yet he has like a little bit more attitude to him in terms of like that self-confidence early to talk a little trash plays above the rim. He added a little muscle going into this camp and he just comes out right away. Is like, my food is fine. My room is fine. I'm just here to hoop. I'm like, yes, thank you. Like praise be like, let's go. I don't think I could have liked uh, the Memphis Grizzlies anymore. Uh, it's still a little mm, gaudy that they do the, the Vancouver Grizzlies uniform and it looks so good on those guys. They have the Canadian representation. They have John Morant. They have your, your first love, Jonas Valanciunas, uh, Donovan Bennett, still president of the JV Hive. But man, I just, I, I love that Grizzlies team and I love John Morant and I love that response. And yeah, exactly. It's, it's just really hard with everything going on, you know, not even to mention the fact that NBA players are having COVID tests process in what, a day while the rest of Floridians wait, you know, four to five. And you're going to have the nerve to be like, well, here's the, the problem I have with the food. Like, yeah, just it just doesn't work out. Wait for this thing to play out. If it's not working, you know, once you've been there for two weeks and you really are starting to hate it and have some questions, then pipe up then. But like day one, day two, that was that was just a little annoying. I, I, I just couldn't get down with it. If I'm a executive chef at the Yacht Club and I see all over my IG people tagging the area and saying the food is bad after I'm grateful for the work certainly am although i disney uh theme parks are back open so maybe they would have been working anyways uh but i'm risking my livelihood i don't have the same level of testing and precautions for me to keep me and my family safe and i see a bunch of millionaire athletes complaining about the food if i saw you in the hallway i would rough you up like that's how upset i would be <laughs> 
if I had Rajon Rondo, though, you would be like, I'm going to rough you up. And then you'd get up close to Rajon Rondo and be like, hello, sir. Have a great day. Uh, is there anything I can do better with the meal? Like he's staring you down those big hands, the long, that long reach. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't want uh, Florida to become UFC fight Island. Um, big Donnie three, big Donnie three ain't having that. Yeah, big, big Donnie Three's coming through, roughing up NBA players in the hallway. I absolutely love it. So, uh, as we mentioned, uh, the Raptors are there. The Raptors are there. Everybody's healthy, and I, I'm I'm starting to turn the corner in terms of just getting really excited for basketball. I, I think that I was being precautionary in terms of my hopes for this thing actually happening. I just you know, you like we mentioned it on this podcast, you see those numbers start to pop off the way that they do. And you wonder how they're going to be able to do this thing and how it's plausible and honestly, whether it's ethical. So they're here though now, and the Raptors have made it through. Do you kind of feel that same way where you're, you're letting yourself feel optimistic about the basketball? Like, does it, does it feel real to you yet? Cause it did for me when we started seeing all the pictures of the Raptors, like actually on a court. Um, I mean, I think it's, they've been there, it feels like, you know, two and a half weeks. So I, I guess it's felt real already. I Listen, I'm optimistic that it should happen because it's literally a billion dollar bubble. Like they, they're mm-hmm. trying to, to, you know, dot every I and cross every T. Uh, however, I am less than optimistic for a couple of reasons. One, when s- <laughs> certain... Um, let's say IG influencers are posting about the fact that uh, they have already been invited to the bubble by many NBA players. These IG influencers happen to be female. Um, Google it if, you, if you'd like. Uh, two, I have many times. <laughs> um, two, the MLS is essentially trying to do this for not nearly as long and are already having major issues in the same state. And so anyone right now who is trying to have a safe, clean quarantine in Florida, like those two things don't go together. Florida on Sunday had more positive cases than South Korea has ever. Like they're setting records day by day by day on not only new cases, but deaths. And so I'm not optimistic because said chef who wants to rough up Rajon Rondo, if he does get his hands on him, those hands have been in the public. And so I, I think if any of these plans are going to be ones that go all the way to the finish line, it's the NHLs, and it's yeah. not even really close. No disrespect, Major League Baseball, who wants players to fly from city to city. No disrespect, MLS soccer, who has like some random rule about seven days of quarantine when everyone knows that quarantine is supposed to be 14 days and then they haven't even really enforced that. And like two whole teams have had to be sent home, even though they barely started this stupid MLS's back tournament. And no disrespect, NBA, who, let's be honest, you've tried your hardest to make it safe, but you also tried to recoup money, which is why there are as many teams there as there are, and which is why you're playing eight random play-in games so that you get your local uh, TV contracts. And so it's just when health and safety is not actually the first priority by the decisions that are made, I'm not going to be surprised if it's not healthy or safe. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I hear someone like Greg Popovich, who's very, very outspoken in his political beliefs, say that there's nowhere safer to be than here. And I actually think that it's safer for a lot of NBA players to be in the bubble than just doing day-to-day life. Like, I've made this point before, but um, if you just look at the number of NBA players that have tested positive for COVID-19 outside of the bubble, here's what here's the proclamation that I feel perfectly comfortable making. You will not see a percentage of the NBA get sick like the one that you saw the percentage when it was on the outside of the bubble. Like that, that it's just it's going to be too hard to miss. It's going to be too hard to spread with the amount of testing that they're doing and with the precautions they're taking. So, like, I feel pretty comfortable that this thing's going to go off. But but isn't even not to cut you off, but even comparing the two, like those guys were getting sick in March when the virus was theoretically spreading and it was new and we didn't really know how no, to combat it. No, we had People Spencer are... Dinwiddie get sick right before the tournament. We had DeAndre Jordan get sick and pull out right before the tournament. Like, we've had guys that that have been getting it, like, recently, just up until now. Like, when they conducted that new test and they went around the league, like, it was 5% of the NBA testing positive for this league. And I don't think that 5% of the NBA is going to test positive inside the bubble. Like, I just, I, I don't see how it happens I, I could see a positive test here or there, but by the time that, you know, you move around the facility, they're going to have tested you and they're going to have turned that thing around so quickly that you're just not going to have enough time to interact with too many people. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just optimistic, man. I just, I think that we're here now. This is the point we needed to get to. It was like, could you get guys into the bubble and could you get them there safely? And so far, so good. Like, they haven't had any real major hiccups. Like, outside of the nets with Dinwiddie and DeAndre Jordan, everybody's there like Beal's not there because of COVID-19 he's there because of his shoulder Bertans isn't there because of anything other than his team stinks but outside of that like we're seeing everybody report like the Raptors were in Florida for like you mentioned I think it was three weeks so three weeks in Florida and guess what they were maintaining uh like good health they didn't contract the virus they're in the bubble now like a place that's probably you know just as safe if not with more protocols than where they were before in Naples Florida it's just you know, I, I see these guys right now and I'm like, we're, we're playing NBA basketball. Like we're going to get games, whether or not the league gets shut down or not because of some positive tests, because some stars catch it. Like that's another story. But like this thing's kicking off now. Like we're going to see basketball. Like there's nothing between now and this, especially considering like the hurdles that you've mentioned that they've overcome in terms of the positive numbers and the positive cases in Florida that that's not shutting it down. Then that it, it's hell or high water at this point. But the goal is not just to play Agreed. the first game is to play yep. all the games i hear you and i hope you're right i just think guys have been told to be super precautious they've been yep. going into their facilities with one guy alone and we still had facilities shut down we still had guys test positive we didn't have guys playing basketball against each other and so and, and those were in their individual markets where they have been sheltering and being in place and now you're taking the entire league putting them in the same spot the worst spot for them to be in and they're going to be you know playing against each other sharing locker rooms elbowing each other in the post i'm i would not be surprised if there is an issue and listen the mls may just have the worst plan and that's why that they it quickly had an issue it's bad but well i mean i think baseball i think major league baseball is just the worst plan yeah uh but um there are some comps to what what I mean, this is a, an experiment. Let's to be honest. Like no one really knows how this is going to play out. But there are some comps to what Emily, MLS has done and what the NBA is trying to do, and um, it hasn't been a great look for the MLS. But I am yeah. I am hopeful. I am hopeful that you are correct. Yeah, my biggest reasons to be pessimistic are well, 
I'll, I'll say this too first. The optimistic thing is that the further this thing goes on, like the closer we get to the finish line, the safer it gets just by virtue of the numbers decreasing, right? Like there's going to be less teams and less people in the bubble the, the deeper that this thing goes in the playoffs, which is a positive. But the reason for pessimism is just what you said originally, which is like, you know, talk to Quentin Richardson last week and he said straight up, there's no way that NBA players in their 20s go three months without trying to sneak in a girl or two. Like, it's just not going to happen. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's the biggest fear. <laughs> it's like skirting the rules of the bubble, sneaking people in, sneaking off the reservation and yeah, trying to hook up. Like, that's the number one thing. Guys don't care about like having to go out to eat dinner somewhere else outside of the place that's not going to be the issue guys are not going to be sneaking out to go to the club just to like have drinks they can have them there i don't think that they're gonna be searching the party environment they're not going to the nightclubs unless there's not girls there like that's the main issue it's gonna be whether or not guys uh have the wherewithal to go the three months and i would say hey remember when you were i don't know some of those guys probably were doing pretty well when they were in like junior high but try to go back to the days when you were like just past puberty and you were awkward and you know you had acne and no girl would even look at you and you had zero confidence like try to get yourself into that mindset of those times when when the struggle was real when there was just no chance where it was just a fantasy and just live there live there for three months and then go back do yourself proud So we've got some new things for you this NBA season. And no, it's not just Terrence Davis playing so well. We have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more. Our weekly newsletter from NBA editor Stephen Leung. It gives you original content, opinion, analysis. You can't find it anywhere else. And it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox. Sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Just subscribe and we got you. I'll tell you this. If Marcus Saul was, uh, I, I think he's married, right? Is Saul married? I don't know. Do you know? I believe so. Okay. If he wasn't married, I've been getting a lot of texts from girls saying, look at Mark. And even from some guys being like, what a weapon. So let's pivot to our Raptors biggest questions. I, my, my biggest one involves him. And I wonder if it's the same for you. Um, because it's been the largely the focus of a lot of what's been going on with the Raptors, which is what effect will Marcus Saul's body revamp have on the Raptors and how much more of the offense will he absorb? Is that, is that your number one question when it comes to the Raptors or, or is it something else? Cause we can start with either or. I don't really have many questions for the Raptors to be quite honest. I mean, I think the soul and the body is interesting because, you know, I think, um, in a, very different but somewhat similar way like his booty is a weapon and especially in, whether it's in the post or even in the high post um you know being able to have his back to the basket but still um have space from an opponent to to make uh passes to cutters uh so i mean i i think the gasol abaka thing is is interesting because you have marcus Sol, who if you just looked at his on off numbers in the groups that he played with the team is much better when he's on the floor however you have Serge Ibaka who individually was having an outstanding year one of his best since he was in the defensive player of the year conversations and even though 
we we think of him in terms of his blocks, his positional defense has been much better. Plus the offense um, was relatively steady um, and he was a secondary scorer, which was badly needed because this team lost so much offensive firepower due to multiple injuries. Norm Powell, you know, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, Marcus Sol. So I think balancing those guys is, is still an interesting question. I mean, it's a champagne problem for sure. We haven't seen any super big lineups that were things that were kind of flirted at this summer where you could you play Gasol and Abaka and Siakam together. Uh, we haven't really seen much of that. I wonder if having like months and months and months just to think and talk through things and get on Zoom calls, um, maybe we see some stuff that's super, super aggressive and radical and creative. Um, but in general, I, I think the only, well, I shouldn't say the only, the, the real question I have with this team is one, everyone's healthy for literally the first time, not even in training camp was everybody healthy, right? Mark had a long summer. Kyle came in a little bit banged up. Um, so that's one. How does the rotation work? And then two, and this is why I think some would make the argument that you need to play Gasol, is because the only thing that has been stagnant, lackluster, less than, better than expected for the Raptors this year has been their half-court offense. They're 11th in offense, but by far their fast-break offense has been much better than they've been in the half-court. And so uh, th those are my real questions. I'm, I'm actually very, very bullish on the Raptors uh, in in this restart. So, yeah, we'll we'll get to the rotation stuff because I have that as 1B. Is like, yeah, because everyone is healthy is a big thing. But I do think that the body compositions are very interesting with this team. Like, you have Kyle Lowry who throughout the courses of regular seasons in the past has gotten banged up. And even when the Raptors won their championship last year, the guy couldn't play for team USA after because he hurt his thumb so badly, right? Like he's fully healthy right now heading into the stretch run and he's had time to heal. Norm Powell had had this up and down season where the guy was playing terrific, but he just, he couldn't get past shoulder injuries himself. He's fully healthy right now. Fred Van Vliet has had basically three seasons in a row where he's been banged up with something. He's healthy now. OG Ananobi was coming off of a year with a major injury and working his way back and getting right defensively, but he's had more time to recuperate. Like you mentioned it, everybody on this team has had banged up. Uh, Siakam with his legs, like who knows how much of his second half struggles against good teams was actually attributed to, you know, not having his, his groin back all the way right. But the biggest one is Marcus Gasol for a few reasons to me. One is that we've made a lot of assumptions with Gasol in terms of like him being svelte, meaning that he's going to be more effective. Like, I don't know if he's going to be appreciably faster. I don't know if he'll be quicker. Is that going to fix like his hesitations that he's had in the past to, to shoot threes when he's been open? Is that all of a sudden going to unlock something in his low post game? Like you're right. His size would indicate that, that he would be able to bully some people. Maybe he can't do the same things. The big thing that I think is the fair assumption with Gasol is that he's taken some weight off of the legs that have given him some problems and with all the miles that he's put on the tires that he comes back and he ends up looking fresh, rejuvenated. And not only can he play more minutes because his cardio's up that he can stay on the floor with those added minutes and doesn't suffer another injury because I love Serge Ibaka too. I think his season has been incredible, but I still think that his greatest weapon being a Raptor is as their backup center. And as someone who, if Gasol does get into foul trouble or does can spell Gasol and not give you a huge drop off of play, but 
the numbers bear it out. And I still believe it to be true that Marcus Saul is this team's most important player in terms of the ceiling of the team. Like, I think Siakam is very close. I think it's the two of them. But Marcus Saul is this team's best passer. He is a really good shooter for his size. He's arguably, you know, their third best or second best defensive player. I think that he quarterbacks their offense and finds guys for more efficient scoring than just about anybody else on the team. Like if Marcus Saul has unlocked the ability to play a few more minutes a game and somehow he's more effective and more aggressive. Yeah. I kind of think that it, it does change the Raptors ceiling a little bit because they have so many guys on their team. As I mentioned that could come back better or refreshed based on their track records. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm bullish about this group too. Yeah, I mean, so the thing with Gasol is, okay, you lost some weight. As as I don't remember, like, there being a huge conversation with people saying, man, if only Gasol was 15 pounds lighter. It was just the hamstrings, right? It was just, like, whether or not he was putting too much stress on his legs. That's it. But, but I think that's more hamstring. To me, that's more about um, flexibility than mm-hmm. your weight. And uh, to be honest, hamstring is more about the age that's on your birth certificate not the number that comes up when you step on scale and certainly he's he's not any younger uh after uh the pandemic pat riley is uh, a a proponent of when you are later in your career losing weight but that's really to take stress off of the joints the knees the hips and so i I don't necessarily know if the weight loss is going to change his hamstring issues but i'm also not alex mckechnie and so i will defer to him the issue with marcus is is just one to me his his value is as much as we talked about offense and the half court his value is being an anchor defensively and him being quicker i mean he's not going to be faster and more agile than joel Embiid. so him being lighter doesn't necessarily help in that sense he's not going to be appreciably more comfortable um guarding someone like Brooke Lopez at the three-point line. And those are the only two centers I really care about how he fares against, getting um, on the way to to the NBA Finals because obviously Anthony Davis is an alien and nobody can guard him. And so I do love the fact that Marc Gasol had more girth and, and was able to take Joel Embiid right in the chest and not move whatsoever. And in fact, move him a little bit further off the block. I do love the fact that Marcus Gasol could just pin Brooke Lopez behind the basket and make sure that, listen, I may not get this rebound, but you're sure as hell not going to get this rebound. I, I, I actually love the fact that he was virtually an offensive lineman in both of those series last year. And so, and, that, and that, again, when you're looking for um, you know different chess pieces, that's something that he brings that Abaka doesn't bring in the same way. That Chris Boucher, God love him definitely doesn't bring and then obviously Rondé Hollis Jefferson doesn't bring because the guy is like the size of a shooting guard so I I I'm I I guess I'm less impressed with the with the weight loss as other people I I find it more alarming that every photo I see him uh, in shooting around at practice he's wearing a watch like dude like who wears a watch when they play basketball it's just like it's the sure it's not a Fitbit I mean either way it's not a great look because when when you're playing rec basketball and that person checks in and they're counting their steps during the basketball game or they're wearing a smartwatch, I'm like, okay, not real. 
not a shooter, can leave them open. Like, just just no respect. So the fact Gasol is doing it is making me a little bit sad. I do rate the fact that he brought his own uh, Nespresso as if he wasn't going to be able to get any sort of coffee he wanted via room service at any time. Um, but yeah, that's that's um, that's my stance on, on Thin Spain. I just, I, I'll say this. I'm not comfortable making assumptions that maybe he's not as strong as he was. Like he could be stronger. He could have lost weight and still be strong enough. Like he's still big enough where I think he's going to be able to bully a guy like Brooke Lopez. I just, I, I believe that. And maybe now he's quicker that he can get another step out to, to stuff him on the three point line or take some, take away his feet around the three point line. I, I don't know. Like we'll have to just see, but I think that your point is extremely valid in that we've made assumptions that skinny Gasol means good Gasol. And it's like, well, yeah, there are things that we can point to where the size is a plus and it is a valuable thing for a guy like him, especially considering like, it's not like his defense was bad before or, and it's not like all of a sudden his game is going to be like slash to the basket and try to finish athletically around the rim. Like that's not who Marcus Gasol is. I think that for a Zion Williamson, you feel like, oh, yeah, man, you actually losing some weight is really beneficial to you because one, same thing with the injuries, but two is that you're so unbelievably explosive that, you know, maybe this does work for you. Maybe this does make you a little bit better. Maybe it does make you a little bit quicker at this stage in your career. It's just we have made some assumptions about Gasol that I think are a little over the top, but the way that guys are talking about him gives me pause to at least think, hey, man, what is the cure for the Raptors half-court offense? And I think it's pretty simple. It's improved shooting and aggression from Marcus Gasol and it's improved shooting and aggression from Pascal Siakam. And that's why it's like, those are the two guys that are going to be like unlocking a different level of the Raptors that if it's coming down to like a better version of Kyle Lowry, I think we've seen the best version of Kyle Lowry. I think that we know who Kyle Lowry is as a player at this point. I think anyways, that OG Ananobi is still not, is not an offensively like you're giving him the ball. I think Norm Powell for stretches can do it for you. I think Fred Van Vliet is a great open shooter who can create for himself at times, but is still not a guy that, you know, you trust to be creating shots late. There's two guys that I think can initiate offense on this team consistently, and maybe three if you count Norm. And Gasol being better and Gasol playing more minutes anyways, I, I just think it really helps you. So you mentioned it. So the second big question is that, yeah, man, everybody's healthy. And now to me, the Raptors have seven guys who matter. Like they have seven guys who really matter. Uh, you can stretch it to eight. But really, like when it comes down to crunch time, I think they're picking from seven guys. Do you feel as though the locks are there if they're all healthy and they're all available that Kyle Lowry, uh, Pascal Siakam, Marcus Saul are all on the floor in every situation or that there's someone else in the mix that no matter what is always, always closing with the Raptors when they have this group of players? I think OG Ananobi is in that conversation. And you mentioned Gasol being, you know, the biggest X factor for this team come back. I think it's actually OG. I don't mm. think there's another player, certainly on the team, maybe even in the league, that can fluctuate between, in this game, he could give you 24 points or he could give you four points. And I also don't think, and people I know how they're going to take that as being, well, his upside and his downside are, are vast, which is true. Well, I also don't think there's another player that could give you four points, but also really, really put their impact on the game. And I, I do think, especially when you look at, you know, a potential series with the Celtics and who he's going to have to guard, potential series with the Bucks and with no Kawhi and with no Danny, uh, I think he's going to have to see a lot of Giannis. Um, 
potential series with the Sixers. And I think he's going to see a lot of Ben Simmons. Got a guy who could realistically, by design or by need and switching, guard from one to five in a possession uh, and is is going to help you theoretically end possessions by cleaning the glass. And I think is really, really just scratching the surface, not only as an offensive player scoring, but as an offensive playmaker. I think OG is the guy who really changes the calculus on where this team can go. Because in a lot of playoff series, potential ones, Miami, Philly, arguably Boston, Milwaukee, the Raptors may not have the best player on the floor. But I do think that once you get to seven, eight, nine, I think they have the best group. Uh, and the person who I think tips the scales on that end is OG. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see if OG has improved his handle a little bit because I still think that's the next phase in terms of unlocking his offense. I think that with his feet set, that he's still a reliable shooter but that even being able to take a shot off the dribble, like the first thing that comes with that off the dribble. And if you're talking about something that you can work on in a quarantine or by yourself, it's your handling ability. And so, yeah, I'm curious to see what happens with OG. Um, I think it's going to be, for the most part, Kyle Lowry, Marcus Gasol, Pascal Siakam as locks. And then I think it's going to be Fred Van Vliet almost always, but that there's just going to be times where we're having discussions between whether it's Norm Powell or OG Ananobi. And I think it's just going to be a matter of what they need that night and what the matchup is. And that those two guys we're going to be seeing back and forth. Like are the Raptors behind a couple points? Like, do they need a little bit more spacing? Do they need a little bit more shooting? Okay. Well, maybe Norm Powell is getting in there. The only thing that is tough about it is all of a sudden, if you're Norm Powell, Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, you're, you're really small. Like you're really, really small. And so a matchup maybe against the bucks, like that doesn't work with as high a frequency. Maybe you have to figure something out differently, but you're right in terms of if there's somebody that if he could figure out a little bit more offense and like give that to you a little bit more consistently, we know what OG can do defensively. Like we saw that, especially coming on later in the season, you and I had discussions. I remember doing podcasts. God, they feel like 10 years ago where we were like, yeah, where does OG Ananobi stack up amongst the best defensive players in the NBA? Because it really doesn't feel like outside of the realm of possibility that he's already a top 10 player on that end of the floor. I just think that the trust level for Fred makes him a lock to be there just about most nights. Maybe some he sits because they go Norm Powell OG. But for the most part, that I don't think this will present itself as, as much of like an issue or debate as we think it's going to be that. Yeah. It's just mostly going to end with Norm Powell and Serge Bach on the bench. And that's just the way um, it goes. That brings me to the actual controversy though, that we left behind. What does Terrence Davis look like when he comes back and can he lock himself into actually being this team's eighth man? Oof, that's tough. Yeah. It's I a big mean, jump. It is, but nurse like, the last time we were starting basketball off of a long layoff, the beginning of the season, Nurse showed so much trust in him, more so than the person who I think uh, realistically is going to be the eighth man, and that's Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Mm -hmm. uh, that's tough. I would lean Rondé because of the fact that a bunch of the guys that you are playing are going to be small, Fred, Kyle, uh, Norm to a certain extent, but... That's that's tough. I mean, I think 
I think if one of the issues certainly for this team for me has been scoring in the half court, someone who's going to allow you to unlock some defenses is Terrence. It's certainly not going to be Rondé. So he might give you some second bites at the apple with some offensive rebounding. But um, I think that's a little bit early for TD as much as I love him. Yeah. So if you just think about his February where he was averaging 22 minutes a game, he was doing it with 12 points a game, an offensive rating of 109, a true shooting percentage of 60, which is really nice, a three-point shooting of 43%. And yeah, like the guy looked like a bit of a different player and the numbers bear that out from pre and post All-Star break. Like what I like about Terrence Davis, and I've said it before, is that he plays with a lot of confidence. He plays at a tempo that not a lot of guys do on this Raptors roster. Uh, he comes with a level of athleticism that like, yeah, just an explosive athleticism that I just don't really think they have. I think that he's this real like weapon X where you can just throw him in in a game and he's this unknown variable that all of a sudden can go off much in a way that, you know, you mentioned sometimes OG Ananobi can show that offensively. I still think it's more consistent with TD. The, the question with him is going to be, you know, can you mature as a basketball player when you're not playing basketball? Because I still think that was such a major issue for him. It was shot selection. It was turnovers and bad passes and, and cheating sometimes on defense. And are those things that you can get better at when you're away from the court? Like, I actually feel like Terrence Davis, the thing that he really needed more than some of these other guys and maybe more than any of the other Raptors is just like reps that the big benefit for the Raps that we all agree on is, well, you know what? COVID is friendly to them because it took miles off the tires. It let everybody recuperate. It let them get healthy. I think for Terrence Davis, it was probably the most hurtful, like, this is a guy who needed more in-game reps, who needed more minutes, who needed to play with this group a little bit more, who needed to find himself more in the pecking order when they are healthy. So yeah, I'm with you. I think it still ends up being Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I just hope, I hope, 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 hope that if he comes back and he looks really good, that we're still not doing the Pat McCaw thing over him. And because I just, I've, I've never, we've always been perplexed by that. It's always been a fan base's frustration. But yeah, if TD can earn this, that, that he runs with it. Um, last one for me as of right now, anyways, is just simply momentum versus chemistry. Do you think that the Raptors, I was thinking about the, what Olympics was it when Argentina won? Is that 2006? I want to say that's 2006. Like Argentina, like the big thing that they showed the United States was that chemistry really matters in basketball and having a hierarchy really matters in basketball, that playing together, it's it's big growing up and playing and, and buying into a program. And I think that the Raptors biggest advantage when I look at them compared to every one of these other teams is that there's complete buy-in and that there's a history of track record. There's a history of guys who have played international basketball. There's just a real depth of knowledge with this team. And I wonder if they can go on a run that is very similar to the Argentinian squad where, Hey, you don't have the best player in most of these series. But as you said, what you have is the best seven players and they all play extremely well together. Can that just coalesce very, very quickly on the fly here? Or is that something that they lost with the momentum of the regular season when they had the chip on their shoulder from the, the being written off as title defenders and slash all of the overcoming of injuries, which I think they took a lot of pride in? Yeah, I think... 
what you just described is why I think the Raptors are very good money. Uh, if you were to lay money on on who would win, uh, th- look, they were four six and eighteen this year, and every rotation player had spent some time uh, injured. Uh, you know, they're they're in many metrics I know behind Milwaukee in terms of not just the standings, but you know, scoring differential certainly. Um, this is a team that was second in defense and 11th in offense, even though they were, again, ha- having some serious injury issues. They won four of the last five, so going into the break, they were pretty hot. I just won. My questions with Milwaukee are, well, when it comes to everything being half-court basketball, how are they creating offense without Brogdon? Like, he was a guy who got them out of so many tough situations that they've been more able Bledsoe, to. More Bledsoe, baby. Let's go. Let's well, go. I mean, more Bledsoe, please. You said you wanted Bledsoe and, you know, George Hill uh, to move forward with and, and not Brogdon. And, uh, listen, you can – Brogdon's had some injury issues and you can spend your money however you want. But I, I just think uh, Giannis is a bit better offensively, but he's not that much better that makes them – that scary in the half court over the course of seven games. I, 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 everything you described in terms of it, not just being about the names on the back of the Jersey and the star power, but the fit and the chemistry and the understanding and the, the relationship built up over time makes me very comfortable with the Raptors. The, the one concern I do have, and we'll, again, this is a experiment in terms of how much it matters you know they they are great defensively, and they have been really good at home. And in fighting for home court, I think matters. And I think you lose all that. I mean, the fact that they're so good—not just getting stops, but getting on fast break and in going on these ten and fifteen point runs and getting the momentum of the crowd—well, no, no one's going to have any of that, obviously, um, because there is no. Not only is there no home court advantage there's no crowd and so i i do wonder if a team that is so emotional um loses something playing in a sterile environment but i think a team with such great chemistry and understanding the way you described similar to that um historic argentina team uh that's why i again i would be very surprised if they're not right back in the conference finals, knocking on the doorsteps to, to going to another NBA finals. And wouldn't be surprised if they won one, as crazy as that sounds, considering Kawhi Leonard doesn't play for the team anymore. Yeah, well, here's the thing. What makes the Olympics the example is that it's the only thing that we can have that compares to this, right? Which is, it's just a tournament that starts after long layoffs where all of a sudden the games are high pressure and mean things immediately, right? Where you don't have a lot of time to coalesce. You don't have a lot of time to get into the rhythm of a season or to learn your teammates on the fly. And I just think about like Jason Tatum at the very beginning of this year compared to Jason Tatum after Christmas time, where he turned into one of the best 10 players in the NBA versus being, you know, a really good player who they were having legitimate conversations like, is Jalen Brown more valuable than Jason Tatum? Like he got into it through the rhythms of the season. He got into it by having some time where there was no Kemba Walker and he found himself a little bit more. The Raptors just like, this is the thing I feel so good about them in is that you're going to drop them into this tournament. And I think that they're... Um, there's that like their ability to get off the blocks is going to be better than other teams based on their roster composition and their experience. And the fact that they have been through series together and that they don't have question marks like, 
well, you know, well, what now without Brogdon or what now, like, how is there going to be Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons? Like, no, the Raptors are just a committee team. They've been doing it all year long like this. They have had splits like this. There's going to be a night where Gasol is the best player. There's going to be a night where Pascal Siakam has to take over the offense. I think a little bit more than other times. And that's probably the one conversation we left out of here is like, you know, does Pascal Siakam take another step? Like he's come back every single off season. This is basically an off season. Does he come back with some more bags in his like or tricks in his bag? Does he come back as a more efficient and more reliable half court option for this team? Because yeah, it unlocks a completely different level for this group. But I just, I I don't know how a team like the Clippers is going to just start a, a season like this. They'll have a ton of talent, but is it going to be, you know, a hindrance to them when they face some teams that that know who they are a little bit more? Like I don't know. Of having Kawhi Leonard seems like a great chip, but they didn't show any team chemistry all year long. And they had guys who were kind of half in about coming to this thing. Like Lou Williams was public about it. All the Raptors bought in right away. All these guys wanted to do this. Every single guy down to Matt Thomas seems to have improved their body. Like Fred Van Vliet's in better shape. Chris Boucher added 15 pounds. Like this is the thing about team culture is you have buy-in from an entire group here. The leadership structure is top down and you really don't have anybody that you're worried about Outside of like, here's the Raptors' biggest like on court concerns. Rodney Hollis Jefferson takes another like a three, and maybe they play Patrick McCaw as the ninth man over Terrence Davis over the ninth man. Like, that seems pretty good. <laughs> that seems pretty good from a chemistry standpoint. It's very good. Um, should I? Uh, I'll, I'll. How about we wrap up the podcast? Sure. With with this, some some breaking news. Uh, Rockets forward Bruno Caboclo. Uh, is forced to now quarantine in his room for eight days as he broke quarantine. Uh, Way to go, bro. It, it, <laughs> he, uh, he, inadvertently, he inadvertently broke quarantine not knowing uh, that he had to stay in his room for the initial quarantine period, even though, um, as Tim McMahon is reporting, uh, a league source said he should have known. It was no secret. So yeah. uh, Bruno Caboclo is uh, eight days away from being eight days away as he now has another uh, quarantine being put on his head after breaking the initial one. So yeah, not a good start for uh, for <laughs> for NBA players in the bubble. As listen, like I'm I'm obviously kind of you know having fun at Bruno's expense, but I literally would not be surprised if like poor innocent Bruno just like just did not know like just like was wandering around wanted to go ride the teacups or something like that and like some league officials like dude what are you doing okay if even if he didn't know as the official said he should have known it's clear that he was not paying attention to something or that he overlooked something it's very clear like they didn't this isn't just a a language barrier they didn't just send him an email in english or a text message and say stay in your room bruno they would have obviously tried to communicate this as clearly and as plainly as they could and if i'm wrong about that i'll recant but i just i don't see a single way and if i'm the houston rockets all i can think is dude really like james harden has been putting in this work that he's been putting in to his body and his conditioning throughout this thing, he has a real chance to kind of reshape some of his legacy with this because I, I've said it before, I really do think James Harden is one of the most fascinating players in this entire tournament. And all of a sudden, Bruno Caboclo is the guy that potentially puts people at risks and he shows up there and you have to see him in practice. This is something that 
um, I was talking about with, I think it was Will Middlebrooks on Good Show, just that I hadn't really considered before. But that's, there's going to be some, it's just like in regular life, right? That, you know, you meet people and you have friends in your bubble who um, are more comfortable and less comfortable than others, right? Like, for example, with me, when I get back to Toronto, I'm going to feel fine going to a bar. But you, with a newborn, might not feel the, the same. I shouldn't say newborn, but, you know, with a young child, you sh- would might not feel the same way that you would want to go out to a bar. And I would respect that. And I would say, okay, no, man, that's cool. Um, Can't see you at the bar. That's okay. Those tensions, I think, are going to flare up in the bubble for teams. Like when we talked about the book and and the stories that are going to come out of this, guys who have made a lot of sacrifices and guys who are like not seeing their families and being locked down and take the virus very seriously, that find out that teammates are skirting the rules or doing really stupid things and, and violating quarantines like Bruno Caboclo just did. And I think it has potential to kind of rock locker rooms, which is yet another example as to why I have confidence in the Raptors is I don't see who that guy is. Again, it's probably Rondé Hollis Jefferson, but I just have to believe, Rondé, that you're going to keep it together and that you're going to be all right. Yeah, I mean, sadly, as we saw when he went to the Queen's Key Loblaws in Toronto, uh, it might be Chris Boucher. (laughs) Yeah. That's why he put on the weight. He still wants to hit the beaches in Miami. He's like, I got to shove this body off. Um, listen, love you, Bruno. Hope it works out. Hope you're not too bored for the next eight days. Um, but this is why I'm skeptical because you're, you're asking uh, people who often only have to think of themselves and literally like in many cases thinking of themselves so they got to where they are um, mm-hmm. to then think collectively. And you're asking many people who think they are invincible and in many cases they got to where they are because they think they're invincible to uh, see everything as a potential risk. So uh, we shall see. Um, but the the Bruno jokes are about to start flying on Twitter. But like, could you imagine a Bruno Caboclo? <laughs> it's like, like, you know, if it's one thing, if it's a big name, but all of a sudden it's just like a fringe player on the Houston Rockets that they took a flyer on. That's been a project since he came into the NBA like that. A guy whose already name is pretty synonymous with jokes in the NBA. As you mentioned it, like, yeah, man, eight days away from eight, eight days away, which was good. But it's just like that that he would be the one, that he would be patient zero. Like, come on, Bruno, get it together, man. You don't need any more. You don't need any more of that on your name. A quick aside, boys. Uh, that was Argentina yeah. in the Olympics in 2004, uh, not 2006. Four, yeah. And uh, also Rajon Rondo is out for six to eight weeks with a yeah. fractured thumb. Yeah, okay, cool. You know yeah. Because that chef got his hands on Rondo. Yeah. Big Donnie Freddy having his way with these Big guys. Yeah. 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 Make fun Big of that Don. creme brulee again, son. We'll see what happens to you. I like to just picture that chef grabbing his hands, you know, and just like squeezing his fingers and snapping one and like looking him in the eyes as he does it. That's the way that it happened. You know what? Quickly, let's just let's do that. Yeah, of course there's 04. Uh and secondarily, uh, now they don't have Avery Bradley already. And this was the whole thing about losing Avery Bradley is that their depth was a concern. It wasn't like him in a vacuum. It was what happens if this happens. And now you look at the Lakers backcourt and all of a sudden J.R. Smith is in play. This is happening for him now. Like he's going to get some minutes. You have Alex Caruso who you're going to play and you have point LeBron, but Rajon Rondo and uh, Avery Bradley, like that's two of your good perimeter defender guards who can handle the basketball a little bit. Like that's pretty crappy for the Lakers. This, 
Like, what's the week? It's probably like what finger injuries are usually like six weeks. Did you say six weeks or am I just thinking that six to eight weeks? Okay, yeah, oof. Like, yeah, Rajon Rondo can at least keep his conditioning up, and this doesn't, I don't think, change the ceiling of the Lakers. But now you are talking about a situation where you're leaning on guys who haven't really played and leaning on them for meaningful minutes in a really, really loaded Western Conference and asking more of LeBron James. Yeah, the point guard for the Lakers is permanently LeBron James. Yeah. He's just playing all the minutes. He's playing He's playing the full game now. <laughs> he's got the rest. He's ready to go. Let's see as much LeBron James as we can get. You know, maybe Avery, well, Avery Bradley's reason for not going was what again? Does anyone remember? Uh, he has a child with a compromised immune system. Okay, so then he's out absolutely. I was going to say that yeah, if it I would I would wonder if he would look at that and be like, "Okay, you know what? Maybe change, but no, not with the family stuff and not with already that weighty decision." Um, okay. Uh this was a good one. If you uh if you like this podcast, as always, leave a review. We are now on Spotify, so you can follow us there. Uh you can share it on social media. You can do all those kind of things. Thanks to all the associates for listening. We'll catch you next week.